When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Bantam Milk Podcast, we have another guest, Yaron Spivak. Intro music. I really hope I didn't butcher his name there. I, I know I you got the first name right. It. Yeah, I know you got his first yeah. name right. So anyway, uh, Bantha Milk Podcast. We're back. Bantha Milk uh, Podcast. We, we do have a, a very special guest today. Very excited about it. Rob, how do you even set this up again? Like, who did you who did you like? So I had my people contact his people. So and right. oh, it's right. time to be real, just in time oh, as well. Oh goodness yes. gracious! Really? Oh, and because we're doing it on time, it means we get three now. Three you know now. That? Be reals right now. We're three of them. Real. I'm gonna so, be realer than you. That's right. Let's do them at the same time. Do them at the same time. Synchronize. One, two, three. I think we got it. Oh, we're oh so cool. yes. Perfect. All right. So oh, if you listen goodness. to this, you can follow us on Be Real. You sure can. I don't can. know why you would. I don't they, know why you would want to. They tell you not to follow people you don't know <laughs> personally. But you can but follow so, us. But so yes. did MySpace and Facebook, and yet here we are. And here we are. Um, anywho. And Snapchat and all those other good so, so means. Yeah, Yaron Spivak. So Yaron posted a thing on this thing called Instagram. I've heard of it. Yes. Um... Okay, my uh, is that the, is that like the TikToks? It's like the TikToks, but of the Instagram variety. Oh, that kind. So yeah, so Yaron posted a post on on Insta about how he worked on an album that was coming out on iTunes, and this album it was called Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Oga's Cantina, Rex's, Rex's playlist, number playlist number two. And I found that real fast. You sure it's did. It's right on his Instagram. It is on his Instagram, yes. Anyway. So he posted a thing on his Instagram about that. And I said, hey, this is super cool that you worked on this. We're a Star Wars podcast. Would we would love to have you come on and talk all about it. And he said, wonderful. Um, and that's how we got him on the show. So he will be on joining us later on tonight. Uh, maybe about 15 minutes or so, hopefully. He said he would be on at our time, 9 o'clock, his time, 6 o'clock. He's over there on that West Coast. Just like our buddy Tom Amin. Just like our Those buddy Tom Amin. should Ameen. hug up and make some music together, I was when, when I was doing my pre-interview with him, I was telling him about Tom Amin. He yeah. said, oh, that's super cool. So yeah, well, maybe right. they will meet up and who knows, whatever. Look so. at this. It's, it's Bantha Milk Podcast, bringing musicians together. Bringing musicians together. And I also taught him all about you, about how you have your degree and all that good stuff from LSU. I do. I and do how have you that. are super smart music I, person. I yeah, yeah. And he uh, said, I can't wait to talk to Nick all about music. Oh, good. It's good because I've done extensive score study before today. And you I, sure and have. I did my homework. Yep. Um, no, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, we're really excited. Uh, really cool always to talk to uh, someone who is in the business and like really doing it. You yep. Know, doing, the act, doing the thing. Um, so I already poured my bantha milk because you I'm sure impatient. did. So what do you have over there? I have from made right from workhorse brewing company. 
A workhorse. Where's that? Workhorse. Oh, it's in King of Prussia. Hey, I know where that is. King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. Workhorse Brewing Company. God save the king. Yeah, yes, they did. Um, our mission, simply put, is to make sure your beer is made right. We take a no-nonsense approach to classic beer styles that are broadly appealing and consistently delicious. Can you read the first sentence first again? Our mission, simply put, is to make sure your beer is made right. Okay, do you think that there are any breweries out there that that's not part of their mission? <laughs> like The ones that don't say it specifically? <laughs> They're like, our mission is, our mission is to, to give us taste, the worst you know, beer possible. Tastes good, but like, you know, we don't have to get it right. <laughs> you know. We don't have to get it right. We just want to get it, you know, kind of right. We just want right. to get it. So this is a Vienna lager. Uh, it's one point five point two percent alcohol. Keep keep cold. Drink fresh from Workhorse Brewing Company. Very nice. That's what I am drinking. You must have your bullet, or do I you do. have something else? No, I've got bullet. You Regular have your bullet. Old bullet. Uh, so while you crack that, crack it. Uh, oh, you know, I there. thought it was going to be bad. I was like, I waiting for no, it. But that, it, that it finished up anticipation, strong. yeah, and then resolution. Yeah. I like it. Um, so while while you do a masterful pour there, I was talking before we went live. Uh, so I, I watch two things primarily in my life. Uh, it is Sesame Street and it is Seinfeld. Uh, I love them both pretty much equally. And I like how um, they both uh, go together. They equally. do. They go together like Ramble and a Ding Dong. A little <laughs> bit of a little bit of head on that. A little one too there, much. Rob. I got a That's little okay. anxious at the end there. Yeah, I, I was... saw you. You had started to pour straight up a little earlier a little than I expected. Early, yeah, and I was like, eh, a little earlier than I should have. But sometimes it surprises you. It does. Um, anyway, so Seinfeld and Seinfeld uh, and and uh, Sesame Street. Sesame so, Street. I was watching Sesame Street the other day, and of course, Sesame Street loves to do the parodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I love Sesame Street. I will watch it all day, every day. I, I'm a big fan. Um, except I will complain the more recent episodes have cut down to 30-minute episodes instead of at 45 to an hour long. And so, you know, things just move a little too fast for me. You can catch more on our Sesame Street podcast later today. Anyway. Um, so <laughs> our Sesame yeah, Street podcast later one of, on One today. of our many Sesame, uh, <laughs> one of our many podcasts in the Bantha Milk uh, family of podcasts, which of course is a subsidiary of Ears Up That's Incorporated. Right. Um, anyway, we're in the Ears Up, uh, Ears Up Osphere. Osphere, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, universe, the Ears Up Cinematic Universe. That's what it is. Anyway, um, so there was a Star Wars parody. Uh, oh, nice. As there's actually a couple. Wait, is of it them. the old one with with? Are you? These no, are new ones. These are new ones. Yeah. So it's not the one with Mark Hamill. Okay. Um, so it's Cookie Monster as Flan Solo. Okay. Uh, with his sidekick, Cookie. Uh, the cookie. Flan Solo. Yeah, Flan Solo. <laughs> um, it's, uh, who is it? Uh, only One Cannoli. Nice. Luke Pie Hopper. Okay. Um, mm. I forget who else. It was really good. Um, but the whole reason I'm saying this is because just in a really ridiculously obscure barely noticeable i didn't even notice it until pagan pointed it out to me sort of thing uh in the back of one of the shots on tatooine with only one cannoli is snuffleupagus <laughs> and he's okay. a bantha and he's a bantha yeah and he's just awesome. in the back there chilling like he's not doing much he's just back there being and snuffle up a bantha mm-hmm. uh and I, I think that's what I, I think that's what i want my next tattoo to be is a snuffle up against a snuffle up against bantha i love yeah. it yeah i so love it that is awesome if you want to contribute to the nick gets a new tattoo fund <laughs> uh you can send all uh, inquiries to uh, ears up, see uh, care of Bantha Milk podcast. That's right. Yeah, uh, Rob is Rob is deep in depth in something over there. You, you, so are we, are we getting our uh, guest in gear here? So yeah, so our guest right now is uh, sending me pictures Ooh, of of what of <laughs> things that he used uh, and uh, things that he did uh, uh, um, for his 
albums and oh, stuff like that. Man, you you really led me on. <laughs> I know. Some weird I know stuff you were you were thinking you were like real. Yes, I don't know. Go man. ahead, tell there me, was, tell me more. There was some re- some weird potential there. I'm yeah, um, and I'm downloading these photos and videos as we speak, so that's why there was that delay there. Have you had a sip of your? Of I did. Your I'm sorry. Yes. While beautiful. you were talking, I, well, first I had a sip of all of the foam. Foam. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Tastes like the sea. It's a very nice Vienna lager. Yeah. I like it. What is it? What is a Vienna? What makes it a Vienna lager? Um, the location. It's more of a German. <laughs> it's more of a German. Style. Yeah. So, that makes so sense. Um, uses German hops and grains and things like um barley. Yeah, grain hops, yeast, and water. Oh, so there's no barley. No barley. So what's barley it's in? Barley is well. Is that like mead? Mead? No, mead is made from honey. Huh. I I think I know that from Stardew Valley, but like. I feel like barley's in something. Maybe you can add barley to beer to make it taste maybe. different. As a food grain, natural sweetener, and as an ingredient for brewing beer. Okay, mm-hmm. so right. barley. So maybe some yeah. beers have barley and some don't. Yeah, barley. Maybe the grain is peas grain, barley grain, maybe, you know, whatever. Anywho, this is riveting content. People have are turning away as we speak. They're like, what? what's worse and mass, than... And mass, and mass. What's worse than uh, people misquoting... Um, Star Wars, Star or, Wars anything or anything just, is people who have no idea what they're talking about and trying to make you believe they know what they're talking hey about. Hey, man, if you say it with enough confidence, people it sure will is. go with it. It sure is. You know, I went skiing last week. <laughs> you did? Yeah, man. Okay. That's, That's all. it? That's all. <laughs> That's all? I was, I was waiting I'm very for com- the... I'm very confident in the fact that I went skiing last week. Uh, you, and you know what? I bet you did a great time, didn't you? No, I was terrible. You were terrible at it? Oh. No, um, you can't tell them you did great. Right? Otherwise, right, they'll Right, because then they want to go skiing with you. Yeah, I don't want to go skiing. Yeah. I don't want to get sunny boboed. Uh, well, you know, that's only if you go close to the trees. Yeah, you got to. He didn't realize the trees are bad. Oh, this is. This yeah, has got dark this has got dark real fast. Let's get back to Star hey, Wars. Star Wars we? news. Star Wars news. Let's hear the real Star Wars news theme. You got to like here. change your lock screen on that bad boy. So when you just. It's just my finger. Or, or I need to get my computer fixed. So that you I need to do that so that we working. can get the real soundboard with the real air horns and all that good stuff. We had it for like a day. I know we had a two like. Two episodes we had it for it was it was amazing. great too. Yeah. Well, it'll be back once once Bill gets off his hindquarters and then come on, Bill. Bill. I really haven't seen him since that happened. He's hiding from you. He is. He's like, oh, I. You know what I'll do? I'll tell him there's Magic the Gathering, and yes. and he will be here. I'm in. Let's Ooh. go. Do they make a Star Wars? Ma- I feel like they don't make a Star Wars Magic the Gathering. Right. Uh no, they I don't think though. so. They should. Sure. Rad. Why not? So I got. I have some fun and some interesting news. Most of which, uh, ironically, right now is all about people. Complaining about the Mandalorian because that's what Star Wars fans do is after they, uh, after a show ends, they have to complain about it until the next thing, until starts. the next thing, yeah. and then they complain about the next thing. Um, the circle of life, that's right. So, first one, people were disappointed by Emily Swallow and the Armorer, because um, everybody was expecting her to be a traitor, and since she wasn't, everybody was disappointed in their uh, fan theories. Um, well, yeah, you know, so, fan theories are fun and all, but, you know, they're fan theories. Right. Uh, the armor proves herself a hero fighting alongside Bo-Katan against the Empire before allowing Din to officially dub Grogu. A villain she is not, and actress Emily Swallow has now shared her thoughts on the theory. So there's this person posted a tweet. Um, he said, uh, as we, all, we all owe you a big apology for ever doubting your loyalty to Mandalore. Forgive us. And she replied, I'm not mad, just disappointed. So she was disappointed that people thought that she would become a traitor. Well, you know. Um, 
So she's not I'm mad sure, at us. I'm it. sure we'll have the opportunity to prove ourselves in the future. Yes, and I'm sure Emily Swallow is a parent because that is what you always say to your kid. Or your students. Or your students. I'm not mad. Just disappointed that you didn't pull it out. So, yeah. yeah. Way so, to go. Darn it. All right, so that was that was a silly one. I guess I'll just have a different kid. I guess so. Um, did you know there was a deleted scene from season three that Mandalorian actor shares photos of? Bum, bum, bum. Which this is funny to me because I, I like two million other people uh, watch The Office Ladies or listen to The Office Ladies, I should say. I hear Dwight was on it recently. He was. He was. <laughs> what is it, Dwight? Hmm. Um, he forgot one. <laughs> D-W-I-G-H-T. <laughs> Um, so uh, listening to that, especially the office, they, they would start the week with like a 45 page script and each page is supposed to be a minute of show okay. and a 30 minute show actually has 22 minutes because of commercials. Right. So they would record all 45 minutes, all 45 pages, and they would have to cut it down. So there's always stuff that gets deleted and gets right. cut away and whatever. Isn't that interesting? There are some podcasts that literally all they do is just read from a script. Mm-hmm. That's weird, man. Not us. We can barely read. What? Uh, read what? what? Read what? Who? So, <laughs> Second base. Anyway. <laughs> so uh, this article talks about that the, there was a scene that was cut shorter. Um, Giancarlo Esposito's in his full Darth Vader uh, black armor costume, and he is um, yelling and screaming. And so apparently what was cut from season three, the finale saw the Mandalorian finally return home to reclaim their home planet. You know when Bo gives her speech of we're going to get back Mandalore with two different clans? That scene was much longer, Sackhoff confirmed. Hmm. That scene was super long. This is the rousing thing you're you're inspiring these two separate clans to get out there and go retake their home world. It has to be emotional. It has to be big. And for whatever reason, it got cut down a lot. Hmm. I love this entire season. I thought it was fun. But that moment for me was like dot, dot, dot. I wish they'd given more context of what happened right before because I think that it would have made that speech land heavier. And the majority of this, the majority of the takes I did were Bravehearts William Wallace-esque. Ah. So she really... William Wallace is seven feet tall. <laughs> I have heard. And if you were here, he'd smite the English with fireballs from his eyes and lightning bolts from his arse. Yeah, that's... Uh, Sorry, you're William that's Wallace? Me. I thought you were bigger. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So apparently, which is kind of weird to me because the Mandalorian doesn't have to fit into a time slot. Sure. You know, like they can make it 35 minutes, they can make it 47 minutes, they can make it an hour and a half if they want to. I, I want them to. Yes. So my only assumption is for whatever reason, the editors, that guy John Favreau and uh, who's that other guy who's the uh, the wolf man? Joey Bag of Donuts. Joey Bag of Donuts. They, for whatever reason, maybe they weren't being as inspired by her speech as she thought she was because I don't know why else she would cut down such an inspirational speech in a show that has no time limit. I'm wondering if Disney has imposed on them a time limit. I'm wondering if Disney wants them to keep it below a certain number of minutes runtime because... Again, there are plenty of episodes that we've talked about that is like this could have been more, you know. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It seems to me like whether it's budget reasons or whatever, they seem to be keeping it under. You know, I don't think we've ever seen anything go above fifty-five minutes. No. You know? And it's funny because like I'm watching Ted Lasso now. I don't know if you are or not, but Ted Lasso is amazing. I don't it's, have any Apple. To, everyone tells me I have to. Yeah, have it's to the be. third and final season, but every episode this season has been forty-five minutes to an hour long. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm used to the Mandalorian like 37 minutes, 34, 30 34 seven, minutes, yeah. and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's still going. Yep. So, um, yeah, so it's interesting that they would cut it down um, when I guess they didn't need to, but whatever. It just seems like any more, if you want, if you need, you need more than 35 minutes to tell a complete story. Right. And like any of the more serious shows are, you know, 55 minute ep- mm-hmm. episodes, you know, like Walking Dead, Game of Thrones shows, um, I'm trying to think of any other big like TV shows like uh like you know I this, this is kind of silly cuz it's kind of dated but like um what's the stupid British one with all the the lords and the duchesses and Oh um Abbey uh, Downton 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 Abbey, Downton Abbey. Abbey. I, I love Downton Abbey I'm not going to lie I was really big I never fan. watched it It's great is it? it really is uh I think that was one of those Pagan really liked it and it was okay. one of those things I watched during covid um but like you know it's it's serious, you know, it's like it's it's real drama. And I don't think Star Wars is ever going to be real drama until they start like actually. Right. You know, making real. Yeah. Drama. And, and this was the Mandalorian is the closest thing. But again, you can tell longer. You can get more into it. You, we can yeah. give us more. We want yeah. more. We want more. And uh, maybe it's a budget thing. But if they filmed it, you know, I think it takes more time right, sure. to watch yeah. the whole clip and then try and piece out what you didn't want. Sure. Then it will be to say, this is amazing, let's run with it. But who knows? Not me. Um, not me. Maybe Yaron. Well, Yaron just texted me. He said, can I have 10 more minutes, please? No. So we are... Uh, it's now or never, Yaron. He he was... Now's your moment. You only get one <laughs> shot. Do not miss your chance to... Bl- no, it's That's cool. right. Uh, you're quoting Eminem now. Um, he was in a meeting from 4.30, so it probably ran long. Um, meetings are so fun. Meetings are super fun. Yeah. Um, the next news article that I have is, it's clear something went wrong. The Mandalorian Season 3 gets intense fan hatred for destroying Grogu's chance to become a Jedi. Oh, no. So I was thinking about it. like, And it, it is, this article does have a couple of good points. Season 2 was all about uh, Din taking Grogu to find his Jedi people to become a Jedi. Right. Then season three starts and all that's reversed because people who didn't watch Book of Boba Fett don't know how and why it all got reversed. And it also, somebody also made a good point. Like he was gone for two years, wasn't he? Like suddenly they're just like, Hey, we're back. We're buds again type of thing, which I can get. Like if, if in that two years that we didn't see anything, you know, Grogu's doing his thing, but it does, it really doesn't feel like there was a big time jump. No, it doesn't. It, From, it, it, like, you know, they could have aged Grogu up a little. I mean, I know it's hard to do that when he's, like, aging slow. But, yeah. like, they got to do something to make him or make, make, a, like, make it clear that we shouldn't have to guess right. what year it is yeah, or how, how much time, how has, much gone time has gone or, by. And even, like, all of the Mandalorian politics, like, the people that he met before, you know, I guess maybe when you see that the Armorer and her clan were on a different planet now at this point and were kind of established in this mountain house village thing right. whatever this hidden whatever the covert whatever the that, covert that yeah cave, like the cave covert. yeah their cave um so in this article they're talking about how at the end of the second season grogu goes off to become a jedi in the beginning of the third season or in book of boba fett grogu changes his mind and decides that he doesn't want to be a jedi and now at the end of the third season grogu and he are going to be exploring the universe uh as mandalorians so people are Saying, uh, Book of Boba Fett uh, ruined season ending two with the child too soon. The second season of Din Djarin's series. 
showed the father-son-esque duo searching for Grogu's people. In the end, we got to watch an emotional moment when Grogu was taken away by Luke Skywalker for Jedi training. Although the fans were not completely unwilling to a reunion, the rushed comeback of the character in Boba Fett series ruined the adventures and the events of the first two seasons. Again, I don't think it ruined it. That's, I don't, yes. that's pretty hyperbolic. I, I don't think him, you know, him not being with Luke and choosing, you know, Din over Luke is makes sense and does not preclude. In fact, it's like it, it leans into the whole theme that they've been going with for like the past three years or so in Star Wars. That is like, you know, you don't have to be in the Jedi order to be, a, you know, like look right. at Ahsoka. Like yeah, Ahsoka when Ahsoka is not a Jedi. Not a Jedi. Um, she was being trained at one point and then she left and she's not a Jedi. Yeah. So, you know, just because he's not training with Luke anymore doesn't mean he's not going to still like, you know, train in the force or, you know, like he's he's 50 years old. He's right. trained at the at the uh, academy, too. Um, and like clearly the dude's got skills like at in the end of season one, when Grogu like holds back that fire, it's from like a little hand flamethrower. Yeah. And it's like, no way, dude, screw you. And when he's done, he passes out. Right. And in season three, he does the same thing, except it's a ship exploding with presumably millions of pounds of jet fuel yes. being burned away. Burned away all around and them. And he's not struggling. He holds it back the whole time. And then when he's done, he just has to take a little sit down to, to relax. Yes. So like, it's very clear that like he is progressing in in his, his Jedi ways. Yeah. And I don't think that was user ways. I don't yeah. think that was a mistake that they, like, I think that right. like, they, that was an intentional like mm -hmm. parallel. Yeah. They wouldn't like, again, it's the same exact thing. Uh, and it, like you said, it's even more fire than before. Oh, before yeah. it was just a flamethrower. This time it was an entire ship blowing up. Yeah, like and remind me, I'm trying to think about which ship was that. Was that one of the star destroyers? It was the giant. Yeah, it was a star destroyer with the with the uh, skull painted on the bottom. That's right. So again, I don't I don't know the science, but but like those things are a couple miles long. You got to figure how much jet. Pretty fuel big. That's is on a lot that. of fuel in there. Yeah, and next, just an explosion of everything else that's going on in there. I'd imagine you know if we again, this is us getting real. Yes, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but like. He would probably have to hold that force shield for a good like fifty minutes to an hour and a half. Right. Well, they you know, showed just it while like everything it, is exploding yeah. and around him and just. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't that long the in the <laughs> yeah. in the thing, but it definitely was longer than the flamethrower. Sure. By the way, can you see the chat over there by any chance? Oh, I'm not in it. Is someone in the chat? Yes, Bob Chapek just joined the chat. Oh, I'm in there. I'm he checking said, "Hey out. guys," um, hey, which Bob. is weird considering he's the former CEO of Disney that he would just address us as hey guys well you know we're we're buds you we know i didn't buds. tell you i didn't tell uh, you no. that he was coming today yes but bob Ch paycheck yeah, is there bob paycheck we love bob paycheck mm -hmm. i love paychecks yes i wish we got some from this uh and so the end of the article states while you're chatting it up with those guys State, um, it, state it, Rob. States that the fans criticize that the third show further ruined the chances for Grogu to become a Jedi and nullifies the beautiful, emotional season two conclusion. According to them, the character should have been allowed to spend more time without each other, which could have helped in the both of their story arcs. The fans have also taken to Twitter to express their views against the decision to make the makers to take the decision taken by the makers in the third season. Um, so after rewatching the Mandalorian, this is a tweet from the Star Wars Academy. It's entirely clear. It's clear that something went wrong. Season two was Din's mission to return Grogu to a Jedi. 
After an intense season, he finally completed his mission, but the season three premiere made season two kind of pointless. Somebody replied to that. Uh, Book of Boba Fett explains a lot of this, but thank you for saying this. The in- incongruity is pretty clear, and it's one of the things I find difficult to come to terms with. To which somebody else responds, I feel like the show easily could have ended with season two. Both Mando and Grogu's arcs felt like they had run their course and reached a meaningful conclusion. Season three felt like a rushed afterthought, especially with Mando going back to his culty ways, which undoes the season two finale. Star Wars fans are such nerds. They are. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Stop, stop complaining. So, um, like, listen, you can complain about stu- real stuff like Book of Boba Fett and like, you know, the economy. But like, give me a break. This is good quality Star Wars content. So I'm thinking, like I thought about it, I have some. Kroger coupons. <laughs> the, the nearest Kroger to us is probably a good five hours away. Yeah, but you know, whatever. we're in. Let's go. But Kroger is of the uh, Acme family of... Uh, well, uh, well, Acme is owned by uh, Albertsons. Albertsons and Albertsons so is of the it's a, it's the same family. Yeah. Kroger, Albertsons, Acme. Acme, yeah. Um, is Giant? No, Giant's a different mm-hmm. one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Anyway, you can catch more on our grocery store podcast. Yes, uh, let, next Tuesday. Next Tuesday, we yeah. we do a, our hundredth our hundredth episode next Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> we're actually doing it on Circle K. It's a very special. Episode. It's a very special episode. Yeah. Um, so I get it, but I also see um, where they're going. Or where they're trying, what they're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. In the Mandoverse, it's set in between a very specific amount of time. We've already seen the movies before it, and we've and seen after. the movies after it. We know where the big scale stuff is going. Right. So we can't suddenly have this new mega uh, Jedi um, that we don't know about in the three movies after this. Right. So like, yeah, then where, where is Grogu? Yeah. What, you know, during the fight against Snoke and stuff. Yes. Right. So that's why I can see them saying, we're not going to make him a Jedi and make him more Mandalorian and less Jedi because we need to keep it in the timeline. That way we can't change what has already been filmed and recorded. Sure. Um, So I get it. I like it. I don't mind it. I like it. I just want to see Grogu and Din flying around, beating bad guys. And Grogu getting more awesome, Din getting more awesome. Yeah. Just enough so that we can get a video game soon. That That's I, right. I won't be able to play. It would be, it would, that would be amazing. And you could, you know, train Grogu up so he <sighs> can use the Force better. Can you imagine Grogu being your companion in, a video, in like an RPG video game uh-huh. where you're leveling up your Mando armor and he's leveling up his Force abilities and like, uh, it's like basically God of War. With Kratos and Atreus, but with Din Djarin and Grogu, or Din Grogu, I should Din say. Din Grogu now, yes. I'm all about that. <laughs> call, call me Ubisoft, I'm here. Call, uh, yeah. I guess it wouldn't be Ubisoft, it would be EA. Uh, or They're Respawn, not, Respawn did. Respawn uh, did it now? Order and Survivor. Well, Respawn is owned by EA. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so so that's, that's that. Um, it is that. com has an article, Signs That You're a True Star Wars Fan. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, step one: You have very strong opinions about who is the best droid in Star Wars. In the Star, this says you have very strong opinions about who the best droid in the Star Wars canon is. There we go. I got it right. I mean, that seems silly because everyone knows it's Chopper. Uh, I yeah. I mean, they have a picture of K two S O. He's pretty cool uh, too, but Chopper, Chopper, Chopper is. Uh, uh, I, I was reading something the other day about the Ahsoka series and how they're really hoping, and I agree that like you know. We're seeing Chopper in live action. Yeah. Let's see Chopper be Chopper. You know, yeah, Chopper he better should be, be like killing people and like, you know, like showing. No, he, he was a he was a he was he was the 
exact opposite of R2-D2. R2-D2 was a rule follower. He was a good guy. He was quiet and did his thing. Chopper is very aggressive and very sarcastic and yeah. very, I very think, out there. I think they're actually pretty similar in in like their attitudes in that like I don't know that I call R2 a roof, but he's definitely less chaotic. Yes. Uh, he, he did kind of like he as far as like protocol droids go act or uh, astromech droids uh, go. I'm actually because I'm reading these books now. I'm in the second book of the Thrawn uh-huh. trilogy, which is Dark Forces. Yep. Uh, Dark, Dark Force Rising. Um, and they specifically say that R2 is like all sorts of like you're supposed to have them wiped every X amount and your X wing. You're supposed to have wiped every X amount as well. And because Luke specifically doesn't number one, R2 interacts with his X wing with 30% more efficiency because he basically is his X wing. Right. Um, but also like he's like erratic and not, you know, he has a personality essentially, Mm -hmm. um, which chopper does too, you know, and I'd imagine it's a similar thing with chopper. He's like not something to exactly wipe his memory with and stuff. And if you look at chopper, chopper's like, not falling apart, but he's missing parts and stuff yeah. like that. So you know that nobody's taking good care of him where they're like, oh, we need to wipe your memory so that you run, yep. you know, update to iOS yeah. 10. Yeah, uh, I, uh, Leopard, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Got to update from Leopard to Lothcat. Right. Oh, iOS um, Lothcat. I iOS Lothcat. That would be amazing if yeah. they did that. All right. So that that is the first question. You have very strong opinions. You know what the various lightsaber colors represent and which you'd own. Do you know all the different colors and what they represent? So it depends. Like, is there, are they talking new canon or are they talking old canon? Um, they're talking whatever this one article that they, oh, it doesn't even say it. I here. mean, in like, before Disney bought them, like, green were by Jedi Guardians, and usually it were people, like, the people who would, like, be more, like, with the force and yeah. like wisdom and peace and talking and uh, the blue ones were by Jedi Sentinels and that was for the, you know, the more martial of the folk who were not as in tune with their force powers, but use the force for like their, their, their hoosie wootsies. Um, that's an official word. That is an official um, word. Hoosie woozies. And, and then it was um, yellow for like the Jedi. Uh, man, there was another one. Yellow lightsabers are all also relatively rare, but they represent the power of the sun and hope for the future. Uh, in Star so yeah, Wars, this is new canon for sure. The Clone Wars, Ahsoka Tano wields a yellow lightsaber to symbolize her new role as a leader and protector. Interesting. Uh, purple. Purple is Mace Windu. Yeah, he's Mace Windu. Because he's a, B- a Banff. Signs of nobility and wisdom. Orange. Orange is bad guys. Orange are associated with ambition, creativity, and resourcefulness. Like I said, bad guys. Jedi Master Luminary Undili is known for her her orange lightsaber, which she uses to create effects in battle. And hopefully, what was the guy's name from the first Theron book? Uh, Joris. So uh, Joris Sabayoth. Yes. Joris Sabayoth. I really, I really hope that's who that is in the video. I do too. I think it'd be pretty. I really hope that. And this has silver lightsabers. We've seen, oh, I guess maybe in the white. Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan uses a silver lightsaber when he faces off against his former apprentice, Darth Vader. What? This represents no, the doesn't. end of Kenobi's time no, as a doesn't. Jedi and the beginning of his I, new role as protector of peace. I immediately reject this article. I read that, is, <laughs> false. that is complete BS. <laughs> Called false. Uh, red lightsabers are often associated with the Sith or Darth Jedi. Often. Often. Yeah. Um, like Much of the time. <laughs> A hundred percent of the time, this works fifty percent of the That's time. Right. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. That, <laughs> the <Sex> Sith- <laughs> it smells like used diaper filled with Indian food. Oh God, what is that smell? 
This is worse than the time that raccoon got in the copier. <laughs> you can catch us on our Anchorman Quest podcast. Anchorman podcast. Anyway. Uh, preaches anger, hatred, and aggression. Blue and green hey, lightsabers. Hey, look at that. We got a guy in chat with us. There he is. Let's see if we hey. can. Oh. Oh, we got to turn that down a little, Mon Frere. You got it? Uh, let's see. I might have to turn. Oh, we're some. just going to turn Oops. your input down a wee bit. Uh, now I don't hear you at all. Can you say something again, sir, please? Yes, of course. How are you? There we go. Okay. How you doing, man? How are you? I, I'm good. How are you guys? Great. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us. Yes. So we uh, My- we were just in the middle of a discussion on some ridiculousness, but we do want to <laughs> go ahead. Uh, do we want to like take our little commercial break? Yeah, let's take we'll- a commercial break because our good friend Yaron just popped into the chat. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, get everything all situated, and then we'll come back with a wonderful interview with an amazing musician and... Are you were you considered an Imagineer? Yeah, I, uh, okay, good. I don't want to. I don't want to give you a false title. I was really hoping that that I didn't say that wrong. But yes, and a former Disney Imagineer. So we will be right back after this commercial break. Uh, no, we are back from our buy that product, whatever product that, that product. they just said to buy. You should buy it. Yeah. Um, but right now we are back with uh, with a very exciting interview. Uh, and you're on. I apologize if I'm pronouncing it wrong. You're on Spivak. Is that your, how we say it? Uh, pretty close. You're on Spivak. Spivak. All right. Spiewak. So Spivak. All right. So, uh, man, I, I'm just so excited that we got you on. Uh, Rob has, has been talking about, uh, you know, bringing you on since he had that conversation with you. So thank you for being here, brother. My pleasure. Rock on, man. So, Rob, why don't you you tell us a little bit about this guy, or we can let him let tell us a little bit about him. But you know, I think I think we need to know. I think we need to know all about why we have the man with the most interesting name on the show. It is definitely because Nick and Rob are nowhere near as interesting as Iran Spiewak is. That's a, a very fun name and fun fun name to say. So I'm very yeah, happy that that you are here. So, according to UranSpiewak.com. Um, which is a, interesting that they have a whole website made about you. I wonder yeah. how that happened. That's, like, that's, that's pretty amazing. cool that someone went ahead and made that about you. Man. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. No oh, by yet. the way, what's your Bantha milk you have there in your hand? You you got Dude. yourself a beer. What do you got? Stella. Stella Artois. Nice. a good one. Solid Very good. choice. Good Rock choice. Yeah. Nice, solid drink there. All right, so Yaron was born in Israel, which is pretty exciting. Uh, growing up, he learned to play the oboe, piano, drums, and studied voice. All right. So and then on top of that, you played volleyball. So how did you fit all that in? Just going all the way back to high school, how were you able to do all of those things? Our kids aren't allowed. I know our kids aren't allowed to do that type of stuff. So uh, that's a good question. I think in Israel we have majors in high school. I, I grew up in Israel, as you said. Sure. And uh, for during junior high, I love sports. My parents always, uh, you know, taught me do one sport and one music instrument. Uh, and in, like, I think junior high, we were in like varsity, we were super, super intense, aggressive about it. And then like, like you said, I had to make a choice. Is it going to be sports or music? And for high school, I decided I'm just going to go with music and, uh, and volleyball has always been my love, but I decided to go with my, with my soul and my heart. There you go. And you made Nick very happy too, that you picked, uh, picked music. Yeah, man, it's good stuff. There Nick. are, there are, we, we exist out there, man. <laughs> Us people who do this stuff in a little bit. See? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so from there you, uh, you got to play alto saxophone, which Nick, what's the difference between an alto saxophone and a normal saxophone? 
Rob, Rob, Rob has knows a lot of the the terms really, really well. He's really informed. The alto and the normal. <laughs> it's a saxophone, Rob. They're all saxophones. Yeah, they're all saxophones. <laughs> it's it's a smaller yeah. saxophone than than a tenor saxophone. Oh, a tenor saxophone. That's yeah. what I said. Yes, I normal definitely said saxophone. normal saxophone is a tenor. I'm a saxophone two player uh, player as well, brother. So you know, all in good company. Yes. But my important question, which saxophone did Richie Cunningham play on Happy Days? I don't even remember. <sighs> Neither of you. I have, no, see, they didn't show him in Israel. No. No, no Happy Days? You don't know? Oh, you're, you guys are missing out on, on some I amazing mean, television I mean. from the 80s. All right, anywho. But what did he play? Which one? I don't know. I was right. hoping you we'll would know. Is it the normal saxophone? It's the normal saxophone. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Um, and then you played in some uh, big bands, classically trained in piano and voice, providing an excellent foundation for your jazz and pop playing. So Nick's a jazz player. So you tell me. go ahead and speak jazz to each other. Go. That's that's not a thing, bro. You don't speak jazz? Oh. No. Uh, it's not airplane. We like, don't speak. I think, you know, I grew up with all kinds of music. Even in high school, we were, like, competing. Who knows more records from Miles Davis to Michael Breaker to sure. uh, Duke Ellington. It's just, I think... I would say the kids in high school, this is the time you have to listen. You have the time to listen and just absorb everything. Sure. And everything that came together for this job or other jobs that I did. So jazz is a great. So is there, is there a, like a jazz scene in Israel? Is there a lot of jazz that happens there? Huge. It's huge. It's like a Cohen, the trumpet guy, Vishay Cohen is a big name, I guess. And the contrabass guy, Omri Moore, Daniel Zamir, there's great, great guy, Gilad Axelman. The guitar player. There's tons of great jazz players. Yes, that's excellent. Yeah, and and I, I mean, I'm, I we're in New Jersey, so it's not exactly like there's a thriving <laughs> jazz scene here. But you know, you you want to play any jazz music at all, you got to go into kind of Philly or maybe not Atlantic City anymore. Atlantic City, you no, there's at all costs, there's uh, nothing you can do in Atlantic City <laughs> now. It's a big jazz scene for sure. Yeah, uh, but you're out in you're in L.A. Is that where you are? Los Angeles. Certainly, first. certainly a jazz scene out in L.A. for sure. There's a pretty much an everything scene out in L.A. if you want to be a musician. Um, but good for you for, for making it out there, man. It's, it's, I know it's, it's, there's a lot of struggle that goes into living out there and making it work, but, um, you're doing the thing, man. So he's out in LA. He's a music producer as well. Right. Yes. Um, well, we, we skipped over. He, I don't, you're, you're the every, one who's saying the things I'm I just know. drinking the alcohol and bantering. <laughs> That's what you do. So everybody in every, is it male or everybody in Israel has to join the military when Everyone. you turn 18? It's everybody. Is it everybody? Yeah. I remember, I actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember Gal, I, I learned that because Gal Gadot uh, served in the Israeli military as well, I believe. Yeah, so uh, males usually for three years and females, my time was around a year and eight months. Okay. I think it changed well, but yeah, everyone definitely had to serve in the army. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then it says here on your bio that at the end of that, you were diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. That's a wow. scary thing. That is correct. Yeah, man. And then obviously... Now you're you're cured. Yes, is that what the the term would be for it? Oh yeah, in remission. In remission. In remission. Oh, yeah. That's what I was thinking of. Good. Yeah. So that's awesome. So very good. Uh, but because of that, you do- started composing your own music and instrumentals and all that stuff. And then you decided that you were going to go to college. Uh, well, you came over here. You you entered some contests and scholarship music and all kinds of stuff like that. You much more uh, ambitious in your musical traits than I ever was. I took a half a year of, of trumpet playing in seventh grade, and that was the end of that. And then you came all the way over here to America, and you joined UCLA. You went to UCLA, which, Nick, that's a 
University College of Los Angeles, ah, University of California, Los Angeles. Yeah, not Louisiana, not, Louisiana, not you. near your LSU school that you That's went right. to. Uh, and then you started playing a lot more music over here. And then you became a uh, accomplished uh, pianist and was a regular performer at Revolver. This is nice. We're getting his whole bio while he sits oh, and listens. I know. To yeah, no, and, I'm and, just... And then, and then we can be like, all right, well, this has been nice. It's been nice to get you know to know you, Your Own. Nice, uh, nice for me to read everything about you, yes. So why don't, why don't we just leave it at, you know, you, you came, right. what, you, you went to college. How, when did you come uh, from Israel over to America? Uh, when I was 24, when I was 24. And I think just to, like, go a little bit back to sure. what you said in college, I always worked in, uh, not work, I always did music in high school and before the army. And I'm like, and then I, when I went to music school, I was like, I did it all my life. Let's see if there, if after one year I can make money out of it. Sure. And if I make money out of it, I guess that's my, you know, that's what I'm supposed to do in life. And after one year, you know, I, I worked, I did some arrangements, performed and started making money. That was like my test to myself if I should go on with it. Uh, sure. And I could call myself a musician, I guess. I mean, I think, I think that's, probably the trick that people who who don't make it fall into the trap of you know like having a like a specific day and or, or time and saying right i'm giving myself this amount of time uh you know i'm 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 a very i'm a very realistic musician i i love to perform uh i can't afford to live in new jersey right outside of philly with my family and and only perform you know what i mean i so i do teach uh and i love teaching and i love performing but like you know i think the setting that time was like probably pretty smart. You know, you had a time, like I, if I want to make it work, I've got this much time to make it work here. And here we go. So, uh, that's really yeah. rad to, that you actually did that. And you stuck with that, man. And th things change. I started as a performer, then became a group. Things always can sure. fluctuate Absolutely. as well if you're open to it. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of the big thing too, is just being open to whatever, whatever is thrown your way and, and taking those opportunities. Um, so, so you, you said when you were 24, uh, what year did you come, come over from Israel? 2007. 2007. Right. Okay, so you was that uh, 16 years? I'm bad at math. Um, and so UCLA. Um, and then how did you how did you begin like your contacts with Disney, or how did you begin right. working with Disney uh, in the way that you did? Because again, you you've got a pretty awesome. You, you've had a lot of really interesting and awesome experiences with your time with Disney. It just is a really cool experience. So how did you get hooked up with them? That was, a, that was a good story. Uh, it's a little bit of a Cinderella story. Love it. Well, it's Disney, so how, how could it not? Okay. That was about a male Cinderella. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Cinderfella. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I was a piano man for many years, uh, just singing and playing piano, kind of played my student loans for UCLA. Uh, <laughs> and, and one of the guys that went to the bar was, uh, his name was Matt Walker. And Actually, I had to go to. I, had a, I needed a bathroom break, so, so I was like, <laughs> "He like, dude, can you play piano?" I said, "Yeah." So I'm like, "Okay, great, Matt Walker on piano." Great. And he always uh, remembers me to this day. Like, I put him on the spot, and he, but he did great. Uh, then we just became really, really close friends. Went back to LA. Uh, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm a producer." I was like, "Yeah, everyone in LA is a producer." Like, yeah. <laughs> me too. Yeah. But he's like, "Yeah, I worked on." Little movies like Titanic and uh, Preacher's Wife and Docs and uh, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I should stick around this guy. Yeah, right. Okay, okay, maybe maybe you are a producer. You okay, always gotta, you always got to stick <laughs> yeah. around. Let him let him at least give you a couple a couple names before yeah. you just <laughs> just in case. He's a music executive. Uh, worked for many many companies, but with Disney for a really long time. 
And then he actually needed an administrator. He needed an assistant. Uh, so I started as an assistant, just you know, serving coffee and doing emails and all that kind of stuff with a temporary assignment. Uh, and you know, kismet, or whatever you want to call it, towards like the end of my assignment, he needed someone to kind of help him out with a specific show uh, for Disneyland Paris. It was called Making the Magician. Uh, from like budget to set up recording dates to find players to to and then like eventually arrange and you know I always say like I, I had all those skills before because of music school because I did it for friends because I did it for myself and then I was just like oh I can do that sure and after doing that on that specific show for about two months he's like okay you're fired <laughs> I'm gonna hire you. I'm gonna hire you as a music producer because that's what I need yeah, so uh, that was, you know, it was being in the right place, the right time with the right person who believed in me and pushed me uh, to move forward. It, it is cool. You know, it kind of goes to show in this in this business that if you really try, you can get fired. Uh, and, and, and it really will mean something. <laughs> and and it'll, it'll, you know, <laughs> it'll, and everything it'll, will be all right. It'll be yeah. something That's even funny bigger. Funny. So he, he um, so I'm making the magician. There was a uh, Shanghai was opening that new park in Shanghai was opening around that time. And uh, I couldn't get him on the phone for a couple of days, but the director and everyone were like, are we going to finish the, the big number? And to me, it was like, I, you know, it was mus musically, it made a lot of sense to me and I kind of knew his taste at the time. So I was like, uh, Matt said to do this, 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 and that. And obviously I couldn't get him on the phone. So three days <laughs> after, uh, I was like, oh, by the way, I told everyone that that's what you said. And there was like a silent on the phone. I was like, either he's going to fire me or either he's going to. Uh, yeah. You know. And he was like, you're on. I fucking love it. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so like, like you said, I think sometimes you need a little bit of chutzpah, a little bit, you know, just kind of like take a chance and hope that someone that's how they, that's how you distinguish yourself sometimes from other people that maybe comply are like more like, you yeah. know, don't, don't stick out. Yeah, is definitely the word. I think that's a good word for it, for sure. Yeah, I like uh, how you were like, uh, "Look, this is what he said." <laughs> hey man, and, and you're and you're like, "Look, either you fire me or you, or you love me for it." So and it and it worked out well because <laughs> like a couple of bars, you know. But yeah, it, I did. They did want their answer, so I took a chance. So you took a chance. That's that's totally awesome. So yeah, so in 2016 you started working for Disney. Now you were on a whole bunch of different things for Disney. And, and other things around. I love the fact that you worked uh, with a bunch of different songs and creative stuff for the Muppets as well. So did you did you meet Kermit? Did you hang out with him and drink some beers with Kermit and all that good stuff? We did. I think one of the great things working for Disney and especially Imagineering is the fact that, you know, Marvel, Lucasfilm, obviously, um, the Muppets, Pixar, there's so many things and so many different types of music that it's, it's never boring. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and all of them have distinctly different types, for sure. Yeah, and the, the, the head of the studio, Lee Slaughter, is an amazing leader. Um, and a couple of times they called me, they needed a song, a couple of songs for Wolf, the, the, the dog. Uh -huh. and, and I might have co-written with him and, you know, some, some, some help with the piano a little bit. And, of course, the actors are incredible. Bill Beretta is one of the creative forces there. And, and of course, the other guys that do kind yeah. of speaking. That's awesome. That's so cool. So since you were at Disney from 2016 until you said you no longer work for Disney. So when when did you leave Disney? Actually, about a month and a half ago. Oh, fired. wow. He was fired. Last he was fired. Month. Finally, they found out about those three bars and they're right. like, oh, you're <laughs> out of here. Florida. So and I, I 
decided to stay in Los Angeles. So. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, we did. I did hear all about you know them constantly trying to move people from LA to Florida, and you mm-hmm. were you were one that said no, 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 I'm not going. Well, you never know anymore because they're they're trying to close down whatever district Reedy Creek. Oh, Reedy Creek. Yeah, Reedy Creek. They're, they're yeah. over there. So. To be honest, it's it's like even in the one month I got to do a show for Warner Brothers in a park in Abu Dhabi. So with Bugs Bunny and Daffy and that's so, so cool. The, it's been a, it's been yeah, a decent like, month for you, man. That's pretty rad. Knock on wood, that hasn't been that bad since. Yeah, yeah man, that's great. Still a couple so in with all these things in your credits here for all the different projects that you did. When when it says music producer, are you writing the songs or are you working with musicians and then uh, saying, "Oh, change this, do this," or how how much creativity how much creativity is on your shoulders versus you just making sure that it all sounds great? I would say pretty much all of what you said. There's no real answer. Sometimes people think music producer is the guy who has the Pro Tools session or Logic session right. or um or sometimes it's the person who comes up with the idea puts the budget together puts the legal contracts together um schedule the recording sessions manages the recording sessions and a lot of the time like because let, let's say for august cantina it was almost like 90 artists so there has to be like one mastermind i don't know mastermind but <laughs> one person one producer that puts it all together him has a, and has a vision and give and you know kind of telling everyone what that vision is and like i'll be honest with you some songs like judith hills i'd like okay it's perfect no no notes but right. some songs were like 17 um you Revisions. know 17 yeah. revisions so it really depends some of them i would record myself and sometimes they would keep it the uh, the arrangers songwriters would keep it sometimes they would switch it so uh and sometimes i would write the lyrics sometimes i would help with the melody so it really really depends but i think me being a musician like you said earlier uh, really helps me distinguish and have usually really great uh, relationship with the artist sure. of knowing when to step back or when like they really need help and ideas and, and me to push them forward. And so again, this is as someone who, you know, I, I've, you know, I've played a lot of places. I've taught a lot of places, but I haven't really gotten a whole lot of uh, industry, like recording industry stuff under my belt. Um, so mm-hmm. would you describe your role as kind of like the, you know, the buck kind of stops with you. You have a, a team of people you're working with and, the, you know, you all kind of work on the same artistic vision that you have, but you're kind of the, when, it, when like, when it gets to the end of the line, you're the one who has to make the decisions that, like one way or another about the, the way things go. I would say it's a, it's a team effort. I sure. think like a great producer, especially at Disney is two things. First, he's a great translator. Okay. From creatives, like I work with Scott Trowbridge and Chris Beatty. They were the, at creatives on on the August Cantina and the and the village as we, as we call it, uh, and uh, and Morrow for for uh, the Star Galactic Star Cruiser. So I would translate what they want. Like, no, it needs to be more blue. It needs to be more fat. Like, just kind of figure out what they say and translate it into music, like very specific music terms. And also casting. Like sometimes the guy who writes the song is not the right guy to mix it. So sure. someone to write it someone to play it someone to mix it someone to edit it so like sometimes it's just like knowing the right people that would complement the song and make it the best it can be so your role decks must be huge because you know oh i can get this mixer he can do this and i can get this singer and all that stuff so you're like oh I, you're piecing all those people together all the time so that's pretty I do, I've knowing lots of amazing incredible musicians that 
I was very fortunate to work with. Yes, That's awesome. Sure. And surprisingly enough, Nick DeSalvio was never one of those names that ever yeah, came maybe in. If I'm ever in L.A., man, I sure, <laughs> sure skip across the country, man, if only. <laughs> I, I tell Tom Amin all the time, like, you know, I'd love to collaborate with him on something. But, yeah, it's hard, you know, people are like, yeah, let me, you know, I can, I can maybe get this dude in Jersey to play sax for me. Or maybe I can get this dude who lives down the street to just come up and record something. Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't, yeah, that makes a lot more sense to do that. <laughs> yeah, my wife and my kid just wouldn't let me move to L.A. That's no, and understandably so. Yeah. So you have a lot of credits here in your time in Disney, which is amazing. Between Walt Disney World, like you said, Hong Kong Disneyland, you you worked on your music supervisor for a lot of the stuff in Hong Kong Disneyland, uh, Walt Disney World, Epcot, Hollywood Studios, Tokyo. Even on the Disney Cruise Lines, you were the music supervisor of three different songs over there. So when you... When you are given these tasks, do they say, do they show you, like, here's the cruise, here's the show, we need you to do this? Like, are, do, do they tra take you all over the planet to go to Hong Kong uh, Disneyland and show you the scene and say, okay, now you are you working with uh, people from Hong Kong or are you working with uh, the same people from L.A. all the time and just using, like, images as, as inspiration? Uh, you know, it depends. Like, again, one of the cool things about working for Imagineering, I did different things from like parades to stage shows like Lion King in Disneyland Paris to um, Nighttime Spectaculars, uh, all kinds of, I think everything is a little bit of a different process. Like with Star, with um, Nighttime Spectaculars, you have animatics that you work that kind of like would show the, the animation on the castle and the fireworks and the lighting. Um, state shows and parades is kind of like a blank slate. So I think every, everything is a little bit different, but basically you have a creative director, an executive creative director and a executive producer. And it's like a core team that you kind of workshop the idea. And, you know, a lot of the time, what's cool also about music that is different than film film. Usually it's the last thing you do in post-production. Okay. You have sure. music. And music in, in, in the parks is usually the first thing that you would like that lighting matches to it. Sure. Fireworks. And, and uh, like we own the time code, as we say it. So it's definitely one of the more essential. And especially with Disney, that like such a strong song, you know, uh, catalog. Uh, it's really the heart of every product that we do. So yeah. just work you with know, the creative. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, I'm just thinking about because like, you know, I, you know, I, I've taught you know, things about John Williams and things about, you know, song, you know, composing for movies and how, you know, he gets basically a cut of the movie and says, hey, make music to this. Um, but like a like you said, especially because Disney has such an extensive and beloved mu music catalog, like the music has to come first. Right. They're playing the music and then everyone else, you know, all the other creative decisions Kind of, you know, like you said, the lights, the fireworks, the the animatronic, like everything else has to line up with the music because that's what, yeah. you know, you know, you talk about the music or the movies, you talk about the characters, um, but really, it seems like in Disney, it's the music that sticks with people the most. Um, yeah, and like we say, like if you say Sony music or uh, uh, Paramount music, people won't really know what that means. But when you say Disney music, people are like, yeah, we don't know what it means, and they feel something and. It's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, yeah. sure. It's cool that you put it that way. A lot of responsibility, right? And I feel like that again. I this is just some music teacher in Jersey, um, but like anyone who I've ever encountered who like works for Disney, it does seem like has this reverence for the brand. You know, what I mean, it just seems like they probably again 
correct me if I'm wrong. I doubt you. I doubt you'll say I'm wrong here. Uh, it seems like they have a uh, respect for the people who work for them, and they the, the environment just seems very you know. Uh, you, say, you don't hear about a whole lot of disgruntled Disney employees. I would say more that from to the brand, more to the guests. Like one of sure. the first things we do. Is, I don't know if you guys know this, but one of the first thing you do when you sign with Disney is take a course called Traditions. And they really drill it into you that, you know, people pay tons of money, yeah. not not tons of money, sorry, but they save up all their lives. Yeah. They save up all their lives for this special experience. So I have to do the best that I can to give them that best experience. Like no matter what, I'm, if I'm feeling sad or tired or like I don't need to do my job 100%. So the people that are paying full dollar for this experience are going to enjoy it. So sure. that's how I, kind of how I see it. Yeah. Again, it's and again, like like I said, it just seems like the people they take it seriously. Y'all do, so that's cool. So uh, talking about nighttime spectaculars, you worked on Harmonious, and mm-hmm. when you were working on that, you said for that, did you build the music first, and then they built everything around it, or did they tell you they're building these barges and this is what's going to happen, and we need music to go with it? How did how did that one specific uh, show work for you for your member? I don't know if you. Uh, yeah, of course I have. It wasn't long. Uh, again, every show is different. That one was incredible to work on. I think the first we had the first five minutes pretty fast. The chance, like all the languages together, uh, like Steve Davison and Mark Hammond, the the arranger and the the show creator came up with those. And then we were kind of like, what's gonna be the next fifteen minutes of the show? And then I actually, me and my former boss Matt Walker came up with this idea of how about instead of Disney interpreting other cultures, we, it'll be the opposite. Those cultures interpreted those Disney songs that, you know, they were based upon. So then for, uh, you know, Lion King, we went to South Africa for the Nadalubu Kids Choir. For uh, Coco, we went to Luis Fonzi uh, to kind of see his twist on it. And for Dig a Little Deeper, we, we collaborated with uh, Karen Clark and uh, her daughter, um, Kara Sheard. So that, that, that was kind of like the idea. And then, the sky's the limit, you know, when you, like you said, when you have these amazing musicians and incredible talent and everyone just want to work together, I'm really, really proud of that show and like kind of how authentic it turned out to be. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, I, I'm just looking at all the different things you did and, and each one is different. And, you know, like you said, for some things you need to know, like, okay, this one has to be a little darker or this one has to be, you know, like Rivers of Light. It's all about, you know, Disney Animal Kingdom stuff. So so you're incorporating more nature things and stuff like that into it. And then Hong Kong Disneyland, uh, you know, watching all the videos and stuff about the behind the scenes of making Hong Kong Disneyland and what their culture likes and, and what they want incorporated into it. You got to try and incorporate the music so that it's something that they want over there versus what we want in Florida or in California. So, so on that, I feel like maybe just, I, I'm not, I've been to Disneyland and Disney world uh, a couple of times, but I, you know, I, I don't, I don't foresee myself going for a while. I've got some money I need to spend on a daughter that just came, but, um, so, thank you very much. She's pretty rad. Um, I dig her quite a bit. I'm going to keep her around. Um, but do you ha, have you found that like when you're working with the, you know, the Disney uh, brands in various look at you, the Disney Paris, the Disney, uh, is it Hong Kong? Hong Shang, Kong. Yeah. yeah Hong uh, Kong. Are there are there differences in, in the way you have to approach the music or differences in the way that you approach kind of the process? 
Yeah, first of all, I want to just quickly correct you. Some of these shows that you mentioned, I was the creative director for, which means I worked with the music producer. Like you said, because I have a big, pretty big book, sometimes I was just like another someone to listen to this and give advice on who to mix. Or, so a lot of these shows, I, I, I did I had a double title. In this, in this <laughs> nice. <laughs> creative director and one was just a solo. Not at all of them, I produced the music. Sure. Um, but uh, to your question, like, yeah, definitely every park is its own beast. Uh, two example, examples that I can think about. Um, I worked on the Baymax ride for Tokyo, for Tokyo Disneyland. And there, the movie is not called Big Hero 6. It's called Baymax. And the focus is really about okay. Baymax and his brother. So I had to watch the whole Japanese version and, like, with the Japanese person, and he kind of explained to me so what is different. And then he was like, what would work? For the ride and then we thought about this combination of both japanese and english and at first we tried like just one song that had both and then they loved it so much like we want all the songs to have both languages so uh, again shanghai disneyland i worked at the night of spectacular for the fifth year anniversary and we knew that they're huge on marvel they just love 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 marvel okay and they're like okay let's do a marvel section and you're like there's no marvel song it's all underscore so we have to figure <laughs> out how to make like sure. three minutes uh, exciting, you know, ex- of the exciting. underscore exciting, yeah, yeah. So it's like really, go, you know, respecting each park, each country, and uh, giving them. And I think that the, the, sometimes that's how you they you make it successful. You really give them the respect that they and authenticity yeah. they deserve. Man, so I never even thought about because, like, I know for. I know for a long time I knew that like Japan had a very thriving jazz scene, for example. Like Japan, Japan really loves jazz music, um, mm-hmm. and so like I I never even thought about how that would translate to like other arts. And so like you say that like in, you said Shanghai that like they're very into Marvel. Um, yeah, it seems like America's cooling on Marvel. So it is interesting to see just like different parts of the world, you know, where their where their kind of fanhoods kind of go to and fro uh, at different times. Uh, something like, like me who spends most of his time kind of squared in one spot wouldn't even think about so right it's pretty interesting yeah the best festival in china is zootopia like you would never think that so it's like again different countries different things that you you have to do your research in in order to be successful sure yeah and again it's disney so like you said they're they they they're they're gonna do the thing they're gonna go that extra mile to make sure that they you know they get you know, whoever is going to that park is spending the money. They're going to make them it worth that money. Yeah. And by the way, the park is very involved too. Like a lot of the times the park executives are, they come to the, some of the reviews and they give notes and we take them very seriously. So they also know what, what they like and what the, the people, the guests um, also love. So I think again, it's a like collaboration. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the, the things that brought, you to our attention was your Instagram post about Rex's uh, playlist number two. So now we're getting into the Star Wars portion. Um, you did a lot we've with... We've all been waiting. I know. This is what, what we've all been waiting for. Um, you did a lot with the uh, Olga's Cantina and... Um, oh, I can't find it. But the... the uh, uh, so Galactic yeah, Star Cruiser, and then the Galactic right? Star Sub-Light Cruiser Lounge. also, yeah. Um, so when you did, I'm I'm pulling up Rex's playlist number two, um, and you were the were you the music uh, producer for this for all these songs in August Cantina. Mm-hmm. Looks that like is correct. Yeah. So 
what was what was the purpose? It was just supposed to just be background music playing while people are, are in Olga's Cantina, and then you had to find and turn that into some fun Star Wars-esque type music for this? Uh, no, it started actually, you know, I work with, again, Scott Trowbridge and... Sorry, this good, is Rob? this is your yeah. I'm I'm trying to play some background music as you're it's talking. A little, it's a bit of foreground music. Yeah. There we go. Oh, it's all good. I know that song very well. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that it's it's a guy on a kazoo? Is and is it really? that is that what you sent us the picture of? I know that's actually something else. That's, that's something else. Okay, tell us about that later. So, um, so I work again with uh, Chris Beatty and uh, Scott Trowbridge for the creative. Um, and Corey Rouse, Margaret Harrison, uh, Holger. There was like a whole team of, of great creatives. And the ask was, we need music for, um, there's going to be a animatronic figure, Rex. Yep. And he's going to be the DJ and he needs, we need music. We need him spinning uh, some tunes. Yeah. And initially it was like, they wanted like to do around a 20, 30 minute loop. And I was like, because they didn't want people to stay there too long. Right. And then we, I was like, I don't want people to leave because of the music right yeah <laughs> like they start hearing the same thing they heard when they came in and be like oh we heard this let's go yeah that, it's that like, does seem kind of you don't want yeah, that it's the like the, are, the was, bartenders would you know oh yeah drink. oh yeah for sure yeah uh, yeah interesting um, all right yeah it's, it's so kind of like within that budget i worked within that budget and was able to do close to two and a half hours of music wow. that's awesome yeah by going through like real and again they wanted like diverse music. So usually a lot of the project we would go to just one person because it's easier. But then I was like, it needs to sound like, like a playlist from space. So yeah. I really need, and I didn't have a lot of time. So I was like, if those songs are not going to work, maybe those songs are going to work. But then almost like 90% of them worked out and we had two and a half hours of music. And it was just, again, a team effort, getting notes from everyone and, adjusting these songs making sure that they're different sure and um you know like there, there was a lot of research like in the beginning i did listen to all the music from the film and we called the film in rex is we call diegetic which means like from the land it's not sure. like the john williams the underscore that you hear it's like song being sung by aliens so like i said i had to like kind of analyze what the styles are which is like funk or world music or and see that I can either need to be close to them or if I'm making a new, you know, if we're making a totally new style, like it has to be, has something to do with the movies. Like it can be t totally different. So it was a lot of research. Um, and then we worked with the people from Lucasfilm um, and made it, made, made it happen. So, uh, you know, no judgment here. Were, are you a Star Wars fan or were you a Star Wars fan going into this project? Oh, we're gonna reveal everything. <laughs> you you can you can neither you confirm can say, nor yeah. deny if you'd like. No, yeah. I'll, I'll, I, now I'm a huge fan, but I'll tell you back then, uh, like in the same year, I had to work on shows for Marvel, Pixar, and Star Wars. So like, I had to like learn all see all the 16 movies for Pixar. Sure. All the, I think it was like things. So when I came to the Star Wars meeting, I was like. I would confuse Wookiees and Ewoks, and my boss man, would be like, "You're on. You really need to start seeing the movies." Yeah, start watching then, it. Man, can I you know. imagine if for our gig they said, "Man, you really got to watch more Star Wars." And yeah, like, oh man. But no, then I, I watched it, and I was hooked. It was okay. Great. Now, growing up in Israel, where was Star Wars big over there? Actually, surprisingly, no. Interesting. Okay. I, my generation. Maybe I don't care. Really, my age forty. Like I was more into the Matrix and that kind of stuff. Sure. Okay. 
right. so I go with like that type of you know visual effects and but again like what I love the stories of Star Wars and even the visual effects hold till this day and like especially with a lot of the new TV series are that are also great sure yeah it's just well, that's what I feel. I mean, I, I I feel like Star Wars stands up because it's it's really just it's a, it's kind of a classic story, right? It's good versus evil. It's right versus wrong. It's you know mm-hmm. perseverance. Like it's just telling those same stories that have been told for hundreds of thousands, if not years, uh, just through a different lens and with a. So yeah, I mean, I I think also the aesthetics, like sure. the aesthetics, incredible. The the the. Uh, you know, the, the, the aliens diversity and not just like a, a mask of like you just see over. It's like the, the, the attention to details is also what distincts it from a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Sure. So um, on we're going to get into the uh, Star Cruiser in a minute, but I just want to make a couple of comments about the playlist here about Rex's playlist. Uh, the song that I have in the background right now is called uh, Ma, Ma Petisa. Mm-hmm. And it says like the artist or. Uh, uh, I was. I'm sorry. I'm gonna listen to Dolston. The artist is Ewok Disway. Ewok Disway. Ewok Disway. Ewok Disway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so who is who is Ewok Disway? Uh, they're they're a band from, they're, from Star Wars. From Star Wars. Somewhere out in the Star yeah. Wars is a band named Ewok Disway. And then song number four on here should be our theme song blue milk surprise that's the stuff man since over the bantha milk podcast blue milk surprise and the band is the loath cats love it so i love it i love i love all the creativity that unfortunately there's only nine songs on this playlist out of your two hours of songs that you that you guys came up with um listen to uh, playlist number one there's 20 songs on that one there's 20 songs on the first one and then playlist number two has nine more songs Mm -hmm. um so how much like how much did lucasfilm like have like were there any like sticking points for them or like it has to be this way or you need to make sure you include this or like don't do this sort of a thing um that was we definitely collaborated with them we work especially with uh, matt wood i don't know if you heard his name he's sound editor for Lucasfilm. He was nominated for a couple of Oscars sure. and with David Collins and like some of the, you know, the, the Cantina mix remix that we did, they actually, we had the original stems from John Williams wow. that Sam Dorn mixed it. And a lot of the languages we worked with Pablo and, and Matt Martin that, that uh, kind of have like the, the, the big dictionary of, of all the languages. So, we would just use existing terms or existing language or you know if, if we make it they would have, it would have to go through them like that that book exists i just found out and i want it so bad <laughs> just a big book of star <laughs> wars terms <laughs> and languages a lot of it is online oh man i got i'm doing some google when i get home tonight man <laughs> that sounds yeah. amazing it's a rabbit hole all right but, uh, go ahead i'm sorry no, go ahead go ahead go ahead rob so I was just going to move on to finally the reason that we're recording this on this Monday instead of last Thursday, which was, in fact, Star Wars Day, um, because just on Friday, a whole brand new, new album, brand new, just dropped um, from the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, the original soundtrack, um, which you had a major hand in developing all of this. So tell us. What uh, the Galactic Star Cruiser is a two-day uh, immersive vacation. We, we've mentioned it once or twice on this podcast, and it's very affordable. 
Very affordable. Um, just anybody can go for just, a, you know, $15,000 a person or something ridiculous. He works I, for the mouse, dude. Look, he, I we know. Gotta, we well, he doesn't work for the mouse anymore, right. so he can he can I'm laugh sure. along with us as we as we talk <laughs> about nod. it. That's right. And just yes. nod. And yes, he has. He this is these are not uh, his terms, his words. Yeah. He these does are, not endorse these. He does not these endorse words. this. Yes. So yeah. So the Galactic Star Cruiser. It's very immersive. Very very cool. The people who have gone on and I have, have a, said I, Bill went. Bill said it was awesome. He said it was he awesome. He was at a great, like, it, like you just don't even realize that there's another world that is not Star Wars that exists out yeah. there. Yeah. And just, just to, I think, to kind of explain, like, it is a, a, a lot of money, but it does have more than 20 actors at, at oh, one sure. time, like, for the whole day. And you have, you know, three meals, shows, you go to the park. Oh, and yeah. so when you think about it, like, a hotel costs about 500 a day. So yeah. it's not sure. Yeah, I mean, compared to the hotel prices down there, you're getting a lot more <laughs> compared yeah. to like going to just, you know, one of the other hotels for sure. Right. Yeah. I, I and believe you me, if if we could go, we'd if be we could tomorrow, go, we would be there in and a then heartbeat. next week. Yeah. And then the week <laughs> after we would, we would go <laughs> on three trips in a row. I don't know if I can afford it, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's an incredible experience and it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So you uh, worked on all the music for this. There's 11 songs on this. Um, the first one, New World, is this is this when everybody is like coming in to to the Galactic Star Cruiser? Like, is is the music just immersive around you all the time, or are these songs specific for specific things that are happening to you while you're on it? So first of all, just to correct, I didn't work on all the music. I worked probably on seventy to eighty percent of it. Okay, there was a great team. Of- uh, my boss at the time, John Dennis and Mary Webster and Dan Scott. And, uh, but I worked on most of the diegetic music. And I think where it came from, like in the land, like, as you know, you don't hear a lot of music around you. It's mostly just sounds because it's a land. It'll be weird if someone, you know, you hear. Right. But, um, and the hotel, we really wanted to be, we wanted it to be immersive and we wanted it to be like music playing all the time and you know early on we figure like if someone shazams it like we don't want it it's like oh you know this song from blah 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 i know it's like we're gonna have to make our own music uh and it's gonna have to be you know long loops that people don't get annoyed with it so we created like around eight hours of music you can have you know there's like peaceful upbeat celebratory there's different music in the lounge there's a um, taste around the galaxy and i think what you talked about was the gaia show it's a cabaret a 30-minute cabaret show with uh, Gaia leading it, and she's okay. like the, the star of, of, of the galaxy. Sure. Yeah, and, there, uh, and there's a video. I think I saw a video of that on like from your your website specifically, where you get just kind of like a little glimpse of what that is. Um, so you said you made about eight hours of music, um, and you said they're largely long loop based sort of things that like can be ambient noise in different spots throughout the, uh, the hotel kind of depending on where you are. Oh, not ambient noise. They're like each one is a ambient song. music. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Ambient yeah. music that can be going on around. You're not going to necessarily notice like an end of the song. It might, it's just something that loops continuously. I would say like you might not notice it, but you can feel it. Like I think a lot of, we did get a lot of, um, Great feedback, which I think was why the the album came out. A lot of people complimented it because they do notice it. And there, there's a lot of languages. There's a lot of styles, and uh, you know, and it's like an underscore to to your immersive experience. So it's more than ambient. I think it really, sure. you know, it gets you to to get connected to the experience. Sure. 
Here's the uh, the Gaia song that we're playing in the background now. Yeah. So what came first? Did the lyrics come first or the animatronic come first? It's uh, guys, uh, guys are guys real. Yeah, oh, guys, it's a real person. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. So, so are, okay. Well, that's exciting. So, so, so my question is, because again, you know, you're you're making music for Star Wars, right? So you can't use like the most Earth-sounding instruments. You said earlier on your on your piece you had used a kazoo, which like I would have never thought about. Like I heard that sound, and I'm like, oh, that's really Star Warsy. But when you said it's kazoo, I heard, I looked. I'm like, yeah, of course that's a kazoo. Um, but it was such you never hear a kazoo used, you know. So um, was there, you know, did you obviously you made an attempt to use instruments that are going to give you different sounds? That to me looks like a trumpet mute of some. Oh, is that a trumpet mute with kazoo? It is. You got wow, it. Wow, look at that. My wife's a trumpet player, so I you know. I'm Michael well-versed. Kramer did. Uh, I forget the name of the track, uh, but he did. He it was one of his tricks to get that sound of the Star Wars sound. That's rad, man. So are there, I mean, that's, you know, who thinks of that? Not me, obviously, but, <laughs> but like it, it does give it that distinct sound that, you know, you would, would you think that a trumpet playing into a kazoo would give you a sound like Star Wars? Probably not, but it does. Um, were there any other kind of like, what other types of instruments did you find yourself like kind of leaning towards that aren't necessarily your, you know, regular Western sort of style instruments that you would use? So I think a lot, a lot of how we you create Star Wars music is, you know, out of, out, of, out of this world music is just combine a lot of different type of world music, sure. like Tibetan. Th- Sorry. Listening to us Sorry. just crashed their car. I know. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was trying to upload the video that that uh, Yaron sent me, and gotta, it started playing. Stuff, I, I just started playing. I apologize. Anyway. <laughs> You were so rudely interrupted. Are you No, it's all good. It's all good. I think we just mixed really different styles. Like how would uh, a Middle Eastern, like you just heard, sound with we uh, did. We heard Middle Eastern <laughs> rhythm sound with uh, African harmonies and Chinese melodies on top of it. Like it, we just mix all kinds of different world music. Like like I said, Tibetan throat singing with musical theater, Indian music with rap, microtonal music, like different meters. Sure. With electronic, you know, with electronic, so and then like unconventional playing instruments unconventionally, sure, or make like, building new instruments. I think one of the things that I sent you was like, you know, uh, on Gaia, someone used a chainsaw on some metal to just like, <laughs> zzz, zzz, to really give that that sound, or a banjo with a slide. I think is what you were, you were trying to play. So just like really playing things unconventionally, thinking outside of the box. Um, sure, that's how we made a lot of this music. That's great, man. Um, yeah, you know, it's, I think that's part of why people, I mean, like, you know, Star Wars music itself is obviously, you know, iconic going back to John Williams, but what we've Mm -hmm. talked about a lot recently, especially with the Mandalorian, have you watched the Mandalorian? Of course. So, you know, uh, with the Mandalorian, especially the first two seasons, we, we talked about actually recently, the third season had just a different feel and it was different music, but those first two seasons, they really leaned into these kind of world instruments and, and this, this sound that was distinctly non-Western. Um, and I think that's part of what's, let's, you know, helping maybe us Star Wars nerds and music nerds bridge the gap that, oh my gosh, John Williams is not writing this, um, is that they're, they're kind of, you know, just the use of world instruments and the blending of that with kind of the Western stuff that we're used to in America. Um, I feel like a lot of people can relate to that and it, 
you know, it also just adds different sounds that we're not used to that, you know, expose more people to different stuff. That's Disney though, right? I, they're brilliant there. I think that their post-production uh, department with Pippa Anderson as the head of like, they just know, they think ahead of, of whatever people think and know, like hiring Louis Goranson or Joseph Shirley, like brilliant, brilliant casting. And their music is insanely good. And to me, like, to us music lovers that to me that that makes a lot of the tv series you know that that brings the heart a lot of the heart to sure. it for Absolutely. sure amen yeah well i don't want to take up too much of your time we've already taken up a whole hour of your time um i no. think i could talk to you forever and especially just keep picking your brain about all the different things that you worked on and how um like what you what was your inspiration for so many of the different things and how cool it was I think it's amazing that uh, you did work on all these different things, especially, like you said, coming from a Cinderella story where you just happened to run into right a guy place, right time. at the right place at the right time. Had and to pee at the right place at the <laughs> right time. You know, like one less beer at that place. Maybe you wouldn't have had to use the restroom. He wouldn't have sat in for you on the piano and you wouldn't be here on our podcast. <laughs> and where would we be? And where would we, we would be? We would have nothing to we do We would tonight. have nothing to talk about because we wouldn't have you to talk to tonight. So, yeah, but it has been awesome. It's been really cool. I mean, again, we, you know, we're, we're just two guys who love Star Wars in, a, in uh, Rob's basement. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> broadcasting out to the world. But, you know, it, it's really cool getting, you know, just firsthand information about people who are on the, you know, just doing the thing and working with Disney and Star Wars. Um, so thanks for coming on, man. Of course. Thank you. And if, if I can just reiterate one more thing, Please it's do it. like, it, music, especially in all these huge projects, is never like, I'm, you know, like I said, it's a big title to be the music producer, but it is like the fruit of love of so many people and it's collaboration. And like, I want to just give kudos to like, for the music for the Star Galactic Star Cruiser. There were Joseph Eshine, who worked with me on, on the Gaia stuff with Judith Hill, Benoit Jutra, and Keiko, who wrote some of the songs. And uh, I don't know if I already said, but then Scott did help me manage the whole thing. Amazing producer and, and recording engineer and all of us, you know, eight hours of music. We all chipped in, you know, got into the mic and, and sang a little bit too. Rich Chippen mixed this uh, great album. And of course, Scott Robridge, Wendy and Mark Wolchild, Michael Garver and Ann Morrow, who, who <laughs> were able, you know, who came up with this amazing project that, that, and needed music so it's it's definitely a team effort and i was very grateful and lucky to be in that team that's that awesome. is yeah that is you know, awesome i think a lot of people uh who aren't in music don't realize how lonely it can be because like you know as musicians we spend so much time alone in a room perfecting our craft that when we get to actually you know when we do get that opportunity to create with other people who are passionate about it 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 does you know it gives you life you know what i mean like because we again we we spend hours and hours making ourselves like critiquing ourselves and no, that wasn't right and we're just alone in this room and people view musicians and music as this always collaborative thing uh it is like when you get to work on these things with people and they're all you're 100 percent in i i've been you know i've been there it's you know maybe not in disney but in other places that's the fun part of it like someone else would come up with an idea that i'll never sure. in a million years come up with then we perfect that idea and that's how all, all most of these things come to be yeah Especially same with only something, something to everything. Uh, so that to me, yeah, that's the fun part, collaboration. Yeah, and, and I know you've worked on quite a few uh, nighttime spectaculars and, and firework shows and things like that. And um, my son is a freshman in college right now, but last year 
he went on senior trip in this area. One of the big senior trip places is to go to Disney World. So for a senior trip, he went to Disney World, and then we were fortunate enough to be able to go this past summer again. And we're standing there watching the fireworks shows, and he he just started crying because the music was so impactful with the fireworks and everything else. And it wouldn't have been the same thing. Like we the we stayed in a in a hotel while we were down there in Reedy Creek. Speaking of the Reedy Creek improvement plan, yeah. and we had a view of the fireworks. Um, the first night we're in our room, we're watching it without the music. The fireworks are cool. Fireworks are always cool. Uh, it's one of the things that is is totally fun to watch. Just things exploding, things exploding, great, things great exploding stuff. is 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 easy easy to to enjoy. But once we played the music, he he somebody you know people record things all the time. I don't know if you know this or not on this thing called YouTube. And uh, <laughs> so he he was able to. I don't know how he did it. He synced it up really closely to where we were. He was like, okay, the fire strip going off for about three minutes now. And he forwarded out three minutes out and it was pretty close. Once we were listening to the music in the hotel room, it was so much better. And then when we were there watching it live, it was so much better. So like with harmonious that you worked on and, and I know you did other fireworks spectaculars without the music, it, it would not have been nearly as good as it was. It would have been fun to watch things blow up and, you know, lasers and water and all that fun stuff. But the music really brings it all together. So, from me, a non-musician, I want to say thank you to you and your team and all the people that you work with who did make these uh, fireworks spectaculars that next step better by adding all this awesome music to it. And like you said with Harmonious, how you were traveling the world to get these different bands and, and music groups and stuff like that, the dedication, like... I don't know if Disney will let you just call it in and be like, oh, look, here we go, blah, 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 and you got something done, and yeah. you're like, here it is. Um, but the fact that you do take that extra step and you do say, you know, we need to take that extra step, I love it, and I thank you for that because it is it is awesome. It does totally make it so much better. Thank you. Thank you for guys for listening to the music and reaching out to me. It's always great to share this love with other people that notice it and, and share the story. Yeah, sure. yeah, most definitely. Yeah, and so and I, I love uh, – playing it i've been playing the the two playlists in my classroom uh just as as background music because it's it's fun it's quiet enough that i can turn the volume down a little bit where the kids are just like what is this because they all want to listen to their own music and i'm like you want to listen to music you're listening to my music here's some star wars music and they're like okay so some of them like it some of them who like star wars like it Others of them, you know, uh, kids, I don't know if you know anything about kids, but they complain about everything. So they're, they're going to complain whether it's their own music or not. But uh, I've been playing it in school and loving it and, and having a great time. So I'm like, I know this guy. But so. in, in the meantime, like, check out, uh, again, he's at uh, you're on Spiewak.com. Uh, again, he does have that new uh, album. Can you get that on Spotify? What the, any uh, any of your yeah. newest music? Yeah. Yeah. I, I really all right, so is that if 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 they search and uh, you're on Spiwak, will will it come right on up? No, you have to. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. There's, Go ahead. If you're, if you're on title, you can see what I produced for Disney, which is about 16 albums and singles, and there's also some of my own stuff that ranges from like jazz and pop and all kinds of stuff. Great. So yeah, thank you for mentioning it. Yeah, you and it, your man. your website, you're on Check that out. 
Your Instagram. And somehow is... we've got an hour in, and I'm only now, I've, I've made it this far. I'm only now mentioning how strong your mustache is. I mean, like, <laughs> listen, man. Nick I've been, is Nick is a big fan of facial hair. Like, He's I've been comments... begging Rob to keep this beard. It's been going strong since November. He shaves it. He looks like a 15 year old. Um, <laughs> like, you know, everyone's raving about Din Djarin and Pedro Pascal, but your mustache puts his to shame. I'm just putting that out there. It's well, a fantastic as long mustache. as like it's compared to Tom Selleck and. Ted Lasso and not uh, Luigi. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Farthest from my mind. Yeah, I can definitely see a Ted Lasso. I could for sure. I uh, strong work. I, I don't. I don't. For whatever reason, I don't have the facial structure for just the mustache. I, I tried I it once. It. No, I tried it. I hated it. But it looks amazing on you. There's some people that a mustache looks amazing on you. Ted Lasso, Tom Selleck. We'll have you back same. for our mustache and facial hair podcast. <laughs> That's, next right. That's no. the next one. Banter, yeah. Beskar, and, and facial, facial hair. hair. <laughs> All right. Uh, you're on Spiewak. Uh, it's been really great chatting with you about music and about your time over at, uh, at Disney and your experiences. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank you so much, guys. Yes, thank, thank you, you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, All right. What a guy, your man. video popped out, by the way. For your, the past, what's like, funny is when I pointed at you earlier, it was because your video popped out. Oh, that's weird because I'm seeing me, but I'm not seeing you. Well, why don't it's late? Why don't we it just end, late. end the podcast? So we'll make it happen from there. Yeah, if we, you're watching us on YouTube, maybe you see me, maybe you see Rob. Maybe yeah, you see tell no us one. who you see. Maybe um, there's nobody there it's at possible, all. Possible, and we're just talking to the void. But either way, that was rad. It was great talking. It to was Ron rad. Yeah. He's a cool dude. He's uh, seems very down to earth. Yeah, uh, while still being you know a pretty big deal. Um, check He's out his music. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to talk to him again soon. Right. Yeah. But um, either way, anything else before I go to sleep? Uh, no, but um, I hope you don't fall asleep in the basement. I hope you make it home first. Well, I think the bike will wake me up. I think so. Yeah. It's it's pretty loud. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> hey, from here in Band the Milk Podcast headquarters, uh, Yaron and us have spoken. We have spoken. <laughs>